Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Sergeant First Class John Valentine. Welcome to the Veterans Be Real podcast. Here is where we try to keep it real and do our best to help all our fellow veterans out there. This podcast will hopefully open our veterans' eyes into the transition and challenges they are facing and give them some guidance along the way. Please subscribe and download our podcast. We look forward to you, your insight, and your loyalty. Thanks for listening. And now, here's Veterans Be Real. we are the prey. Welcome back, everybody. Veteran Be Real Podcast. This is John Valentine, your host. Uh, we're going to be talking today about military versus civilian leadership. So we're going to be talking about leadership and the challenges that we face as soldiers and veterans separating from service and then going back into the civilian sector and how hard things can be. So the first thing I want to talk to you about is this. We're going to jump right into it, by the way. This is how I work. <laughs> That's the military part of me. We're going to jump right into it. But here it is. Okay, so military leadership style, right? We're taught... That military leadership style is we are to motivate our fellow soldiers and or sailors, Marines, airmen, whatever it is. We motivate them to accomplish the mission, right? So part of our job is to motivate, all right? The other part of our job is to is to have command and control. We've heard that a lot in our military careers. And if you were a leader, if you got into the, any of the E5 and above type of positions where you got put in charge of soldiers, you would hear command and control, making sure you got control of your soldiers, you know where they're at, accountability, all those type of things. Because in the military leadership, we're way more intense than they are in the civilian sector as far as the lifestyle and what our soldiers are doing and what they're, where they're at, how they're behaving and all that stuff. We're accountable for everything. You know, we're held on the carpet for everything. A soldier gets a, in trouble with the police off post, let's say he gets a DUI. You're, at, you're on the carpet just as much as they are. And they're rip, you know, the leadership above you is ripping you because your soldier got a DUI or whatever the case might have been. Okay. We're a very direct, um, in-your-face kind of leadership style in the military. Uh, we have accountability. Uh, but one of the few things that I realized throughout my career was this. A lot of leaders in the military use fear as a tactic to lead soldiers, to get them to do the things they want to do, to motivate them. They use fear as a motivating factor. And to me, that was the weakest type of leadership that we have. Uh, those are the leaders that are the ones that are, I used to, used to call them spotlight rangers when I was in the Army. Um when the spotlight was on them, they wanted to be the best leader or the best soldier that they could be in the unit. But the minute the light was off them, they would be the guy that would want to go and do something in, in, that they weren't supposed to do. Uh, so the big challenge for a lot of us is when we switch out. I'm going to use myself as an example here because I, I can use this as a great example of how the leadership styles in the military change from the civilian side and the military side. So when I separated from the military service back in 2010 after my 20 years, uh, I had a few jobs. My first job was a drill instructor at a juvenile detention center because I just wanted to get a job when I first got out where I could just have a job and kind of get my feet under me. Uh, the pay wasn't great. It wasn't horrible, but it wasn't like, you know, going to put me in a lifestyle that I was in when I was in the Army even. But it was a job, and I still got to wear a uniform. I wore a drill sergeant hat. We took care of the kids that were in the juvenile detention center and basically disciplined them for misbehaving and kind of giving them a different direction to look at. Um, and it was a very rewarding job as far as working with the kids. But Working with the civilian sector of there, the leadership that was there was a little challenging at times because expectations are different in the civilian sector, right? Um, we don't realize that in the military, I'm not going to get sued as a sergeant or as a leader 
you know, telling my soldiers to spend the, you know, do 24 hour duty somewhere. I'm not going to get sued. Nobody's going to try to do anything to me logistically. You know, I might get yelled at by a supervisor, but nothing's going to happen to me. But in the civilian sector, you can't ask somebody to work late if they're not contracted to work late. You can't do certain things with civilian sector. So there's a challenge when you come from the military side to the civilian side. So, you know, my second job after I got out was working for a hospital, and I was a military liaison between their hospital and the military base because of my military connections. I could get on base easy, and I can talk to them and understand the lingo, and I could help them. So I took that job and paid really good. I mean, absurdly good. They were paying me a lot of money to do that, and I was happy about that part. And I worked there for about a year. But let's just clarify that whole year. All right, so the first month, I was very laid back, just kind of learning my way around the, the hospital, the new civilian hospital I was working in, and the people that were there leading it, and, and the leadership styles that they had to try to figure out my best approach to people. So I knew how to approach people, because that's another challenge that we as military guys got to learn when we get out. You have to learn different approaches. You can't go up to your boss and treat them like your first sergeant or your sergeant major or your, you know, your direct supervisor. It's different. Um, so needless to say, throughout my time there, I, I could tell right away that I was more qualified to be the boss than I was to be in the position I had, but I was in the civilian sector now, so I had to work my way through everything. I had to start over from scratch. You know, it's not like when I was in the Army, you know, when you're in the military and you get out, you know, you're an E-78, whatever, or E-5 even, whatever you were, you worked really hard to get there. Um, so your expectation when you get out is you're going to have a job that has the equivalency of that position you had in the military. Well, that ain't the way it works in the civilian sector, guys. They... uh they want you to start off back at ground zero and work your way up. And that's a big challenge as it is. But it's even more challenging when you're a senior leader like I was and you get into a position where you know the person above you. They might have the education as far as college goes, but they don't have the leadership style that can make their job and make their position or their, their um, department even more optimal and squared away. And then talking to them about it, then you become a threat to them because now they see you as a threat to their position. So now it's a, you know it's not like the army where if you're an E seven you're talking to an E eight the E eight ain't worried about it because you got to go through promotion stuff and blah 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 he, yeah you might be smarter than that E eight you might know more than that E eight but that E eight ain't worried about it because he's already got his and he's not worried about it the civilian sector people can get fired in a heartbeat if they don't think they're the, the person doesn't think they're the right person for the job they can just get rid of them so that's another challenge that we face you know what I'm saying I I went into that job and I knew I was more qualified to run the department but I was okay with just doing my job but the problem was is because that person felt threatened, therefore they uh, felt, okay, I'm going to put this on him and I'm going to make his life harder. So they tried that, of course, and then, of course, I just you know used the chain of command like I was taught, went over his head, da-da-da-da, but, of course, that caused problems because when you go over somebody's head in the civilian sector, now there's a trust issue. There's a whole lot of things that go along with that, so it's a really deterring kind of approach. But here's a gist, guys. Here's what I get to with the leadership styles. Okay, we're talking about leadership, right? Well, the leadership that was in that environment got so toxic for me and so difficult for me to understand and comprehend that it started becoming my anxiety would go up, my depression would start battling, and I already have PTSD from my combat tours and all the other stuff that happened in my life with the military. So I became more depressed. I became have, have a lot more suicidal ideations. I thought about killing myself. I thought about planning it out. My wife and kids were happy because of the money I was making. So I was like, okay, if, that's about, if it's about the money, this was really going to make them happy. My life insurance policy is going to make them really good because it's going to pay the house off. It's going to give them money for the next 10, 15 years. They don't have to worry about anything. So I really contemplated suicide. And then I had a discussion with a friend of mine, a buddy, a veteran. And he said, look, Nick, if you're not happy, just leave, bro. Go do something you're going to be happy doing. Make yourself happy where you work or happy what you're doing. It'll help you deal with your combat stress and with your PTSD and with your 
you know, your depression and your anxiety. And I said, well, you know what? You're probably right. So I went home and talked to the wife. And then I went in and gave my resignation and quit. And then I started a military nonprofit that I run now called Operation Fair Support. And I'm, I'm still doing that to this day. It's, I'm kind of be my own boss, I guess is the best way to look at it. Uh, and some of us as veterans, we run into that, right? We'd be better off if we were our own boss and we didn't have to answer to anybody above us so we didn't have to get angry or we didn't have to get frustrated or we didn't have to get pissed off, whatever it is. You know, um, it's hard because there's that. And because remember on the civilian side, they don't have those expectations of the mission's got to get accomplished. It's get the job done. Hopefully you'll get it done. Hopefully you'll get it here. Hopefully we'll get to there. But I'll tell you, there was times at my civilian job that I was like, hey, boss, I can't get this done today because of X, Y, and Z. And they were okay with that. You know, in the military, they wouldn't have been okay with that. But in the civilian sector, they were okay. So I had to learn that too, that expectations were different for military leadership versus civilian leadership. Okay. And remind, remember guys, a lot of guys, and a lot of you listening to us out there right now, you're, you know that when you're in the military, regardless of what branch you in, you had a supervisor that they use fear as their motivating factor to get you to do so. They threaten you with R15s or they threaten you with staying, staying late and working late, extra duty type of, type of attitude or a non, non-judicial punishment, yada, yada, UCMJ kind of stuff. So you know that it was out there. And you know the stronger leaders out there that were just trying to help you get things done and, and, and work were there to help you. Do you know what I mean? So in the civilian sector, it's a little different, though, because then you have to deal with they're not direct with a lot of things they do. They give you expectations, but they're not as direct. They're more casual about their leadership style, meaning they don't necessarily have these high expectations. They just want the job to get done because it's going to make their life easier. So they have the attitude that, you know, hey, just get this done for me uh, so we can get this finished and then, then we'll be good. So that's kind of expectation wise grabbing so and a lot of times civilian leadership gets scared especially if you can be intimidating or if you have that that aura about you that's overwhelming to them because your light your leadership style or you're just the way you work your functionality part at work is just so direct and so get the job done and get out of there you know finish the mission you know get done and then go home that's kind of the attitude we have as soldiers uh so that kind of leads into where are we as soldiers and veterans when we get hired in these positions? Uh, the difficult part of it is we don't really know until we're there for a while. You know, for instance, if you get out and you get a job at McDonald's and you were an E5 in the military and you were a leader, you were already in charge of six, eight, ten people. And now they bring you to McDonald's and you're working on the line or you're, they might even make you start you off as a shift manager if you're lucky. Um, I wouldn't call it lucky because a lot of those expectations can't be met in the beginning. But you know, you're working and you're doing your job at McDonald's and you're trying to work up to get, become the, you know, the shift manager, maybe on later on the day manager, the night manager, whatever it might be. So the, you're working because you work now. Our full, whole focus now is soldiers and veterans. I'll tell you, at least my gut was when I got out, I wanted to make as much money as I could right away because I knew we didn't get paid a ton in the army, but I need to at least make what I was making when I was in the army so that I could take care of my family. You know what I'm saying? So you're pushing yourself to make more money and think, and a lot of time you intimidate people when you do that because you make other, other member, other employees you're working with. You know, that's another thing we're going to talk about here is really let's talk about your coworkers real quick. All right. So you get into a job, you just get hired, you're a veteran, you come in. Now let's just be honest. Do you think maybe you might intimidate them a little bit? You know, some of these people you work with might treat you fairly and they feel, and they might feel, you know, 
proud that you're there working because they're they're proud of their country and they're they're actually patriotic type people and they want you there. But there's a lot of people you're going to work with. They're going to be fearful of you. They're going to be envious of you. They're going to be deviant and try to work around and get you fired or get you in trouble right away so you don't look as good as you do because you're a veteran. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? What I'm saying that like they already know you're a veteran and, and the leadership, the ownership, or the people that own the company are looking at you different anyway because of that. So they're going to try to make you look bad. So you take some of that shine off of you, so to speak. Um, and I know I went through that. I had a, a young lady I worked with, man. She would do anything in her power to try to make me look bad. And I don't think she was doing it to hurt me personally. It was a professional thing. She was trying to make herself still look better than I was a veteran coming in. So I already had like a notch up on her, so to speak. So she was doing what she had to do to, to make herself look better to her boss. Um, and that's just the way it goes, right? Which leads me to this. Is hiring veterans always a good thing? I mean, all of us need jobs, right? We're all veterans. We need to get out and get jobs, right? Um, but is hiring a veteran a good thing or a bad thing? Is it kind of like affirmative action? Like they're going to hire us just because and then throw us in some job that's not really useful to us or to, to, to help us with our, our future of our career in the civilian sector or our aspirations to do well at the job they hired you for to eventually be in a leadership position or a management position or whatever it might be. So you got to look at, you know, is this company hiring me because I'm a veteran or because I'm qualified, Right. And I'm going to have a gentleman in here later on, an old retired sergeant major that works over at, uh, he works over the veterans work committee or veterans uh, organization that helps soldiers find jobs. And he's going to tell you flat out, a lot of times soldiers take jobs they're not even qualified for because they're veterans and they'll, they, it's about the money. You know, some of the other non, there's some nonprofits out there in the world that hire veterans when they get out just so they have the face of the veteran. It's not because the soldier or the veteran was qualified for the position or whatever, and they're paying them a handsome pay. But they're not really qualified for it. So you're kind of undermining that soldier's self-worth um, based on what you're paying them, based on what he's really accomplishing for your business. Um, which, in my opinion, leads to a lot of the suicidal ideations and the depression and the anxiety because they feel pressure, but then they don't feel pressure because there's no real pressure on them. But then they feel like they're stealing the money or taking money they shouldn't be making or whatever the case might be. So a lot of those things are determined that way. Um then, of course, there's the legal part of working for a civilian company. Uh, in the Army, I couldn't get sued for telling a soldier to stay late and work late. I couldn't get sued for making a soldier do push-ups or doing whatever, you know, whatever the situation might be. But on the civilian side, you know, let's just say, for instance, you say something to a, f a female coworker of yours or a female subordinate of yours at work, and she took it as sexual harassment because she thinks she's pretty or she thinks she's whatever she thinks, Right. And I'm not saying you sex harass her or, or that whatever, but because she feels that way, she she applies for she sues the company because of sexual harassment. And let's just be honest: how many of us out there have listened and heard about companies that are just getting sued all the time because of actions of one employee might have said something smart? Like you know, as a soldiers, we use a lot of acronyms and and we have a tendency to use foul language a lot. And we might say, "Whoa, that shit! Did you see that shit? That bitch is crazy!" And just because you said the word "bitch," even though you weren't directing it towards anybody. A female coworker heard it, and now she's claiming whatever she's going to claim to get a lawsuit started so she can make some easy, quick money, and then your ass is going to be out of a job or your ass is going to be you know, looking for some new position because you made a mistake just because you were talking smack at the water cooler, so to speak. So all those things, though, think about all everything we've talked about so far, everything I've mentioned so far, all that stuff leads into how do we transition as soldiers into the civilian sector? Me, personally... I got my own business now. I don't work for anybody. And it's not because I can't work with people. It's because my expectations are always so much higher than theirs. My my results are always pushing to be higher than theirs. 
So it made it very difficult for me to work with people who didn't have the same mindset as I did. And unless you're working for another veteran, which some of you may get lucky and you, a veteran hires you and understands the military and, and what he thinks your expectations are going to be, and he puts you in a position to be successful. I mean, that's what I do when I hire anybody that works for me. I make sure if they're a veteran, I make sure they understand straight up that I have high expectations of everybody that works here. I expect you to be a leader when nobody's around. I expect you to do the right thing when nobody's around. I expect all those things that I did when I was a soldier. You know what I mean? And, but I lay that out for them in the front. And if they, they maintain that, they're good. They get promoted. They'll get raises. They'll get whatever they deserve because they're working their butt off for me and, and they're trying to make us better. Um, so just remember that when we transition, all right, we're transitioning in more than just a job to a job. The military, it's a paycheck. It's not It's not a job. It's a lifestyle. Um, I don't know the best way to, to really get it through to you guys, but let's just be honest. For 20 years of my life, I got up every morning at 5.30, went to PT, did PT, came back to work at 9 o'clock, went to work till 4.30, 5 o'clock, went home, spent time with my family. Then then if we had to go to the field or we got deployed or whatever, then you, your whole life changes, right? So it's a lifestyle. The military is a lifestyle. It's not a job. It's a career lifestyle. It, it might be a job for some of us because there's a lot of veterans out there that did two or three years and then decided this wasn't the lifestyle I wanted. So they got out. All right. And I, I respect the shit out of that guy came in to just get the college money. I respect that, too, because they had a plan. They followed through their plan. They got their college money. They got I got their college degree done now. And now they got a good job that they want. I respect the hell out of that, because I think that is a person who said to themselves in high school, say, look, I need I need college money. I, my parents don't have it. I'm not going to get a scholarship because my grades are good, but they're not top of the top of the line type of good or whatever this case might be. So I said, you know what? I'll just go in the army for two or three, four years or whatever. Get my time. Serve my country. Then I'll have the GI Bill. I can go to school for, I don't have to worry about paying any school bills. I'll be able to get my degree and get the job that I really want to have, which is an oceanographer or whatever it might be, right? I, as a soldier, would respect that. Even when I had soldiers come in, brand new privates, I would sit down with them the first week they were in the Army or at my unit when they got into me, and I'd say, hey, look, what's your expectations? You know, what's your five-year goal? And they're like, well, Sarge, you know, I, I think I'm just going to do my three or four years and, or my four years and I'm going to get out and go to school. I want to be a you know, veterinarian or I want to be or whatever. OK, cool. I can respect that. But here's what I expect of you. The next four years, I expect you to be busting your butt for me to get the job done and help me understand, you know, why you felt that way. And then they teach you that. And then I learned that and I, I got more educated. I understood it better. And that's why I respect it more now because of that now. The veterans I have a problem with are the ones that came in the army because they use the excuse, well, my mom and dad were poor, we were homeless, whatever, blah, blah. And then they get in the army and they act the fool. You know what I'm saying? Or get in the military, they act the fool and end up getting kicked out of the military for a chapter 13 or chapter 14 or a bad conduct discharge or general general conduct discharge or a dishonorable discharge. And then those are the guys that I talk about, we're going to talk about later on too with our, our stolen valor type of uh, episode. We have that episode because to me... Those guys are just as bad stolen valor as the ones that steal valor and, and, and go out. The ones that get out on, on bad conduct discharges or general discharges under under conditions that were because they were doing stuff wrong, like drugs or alcohol or beating their wife or, you know, whatever it might have been. Those were the type of soldiers we didn't want in the Army or in the military. Um, so that's a challenge, too. So leadership is a challenge on all aspects. Leadership's a challenge from that part. But back to the whole story about me and, and the stress that I was under and the suicidal ideations and all that stuff, because I'm a big proponent of, you know, no veteran should take their life. And there's always a better day tomorrow. There's always a chance for the day tomorrow to be better than it was today. So there's always that force. Now, and I'm not going to lie to any of you out there. 
I've had a gun in my mouth I don't know how many times. I've had plans to do it. I've had because the pain is just so hard to live with and the, and the guilt and other things that we get from combat. and we get. But there's there's veterans out there, and I'm going to say this out loud. There's veterans out there. There's female veterans out there, even male veterans out there that have been sexually assaulted while they're in the Army or whatever. And they have PTSD from that or they have trauma from that. And it's made their life difficult to manage. So there's a lot of personal things that go on in the military that allow our uh, our mental state to get affected. And when our mental state gets affected, you know, that's when you hope that the leadership that you've been taught can teach you how to get yourself out of it, how you can work yourself through it. Now, I, over the years, have been through therapy. I've been through counseling. I've been to support groups. I've been to different things. But I, I attended a, a retreat back in November of 2019 that changed my life. And it just finally, it was just that final click that finally clicked for me. And my life has changed completely. I'm a much better person than my spouse. I'm a much better person than my my kids. I'm a much better father, a much better husband. All because I went to this one more retreat with my wife. It was a week long. It was one of the best things that ever happened to me. Seriously, guys. And I'm going to introduce that to you guys here later on. But um, you guys got to understand there's always a better day tomorrow. Leadership is the biggest challenge in life because some of us are leaders and some of us aren't. And that's okay. It's okay if you're not that stand out in front of the crowd and you're going to be the guy who says everything and tells everybody how to do it. It's We need people out there that just do the jobs too. And, and that's important because not all of us can be leaders. Even people that were in the military – I know, I know retired Sergeant Majors that, are, that were so exhausted from leading that when they got out, they just got job Like, they just they volunteer at places. They just help out. They just do it. They don't want anything to do with telling anybody to do anything anymore. They just want to be Joe Smith or Joe Snuffy or whoever they are. They just want to be loved by their family, respected by their friends and, and their coworkers, and meet some people and maybe help some veterans or whatever they might want to do. But they're just content with who they are now. And then there's those younger veterans like me that cat out that wanted to, you know, set the world on fire and do a lot of great things and do all that stuff. And then you lead into it. So leadership is a challenge, everybody. Um, we all know that. And we all live with it every day. Um, but I think the overall concept of leadership has always been to motivate people to get the job completed or get the mission done. Uh, and like I said earlier, you know, a lot of military leaders use fear to get that motivation done because Technically, you could use fear to motivate somebody because fear does motivate people. Um, but is that the type of leader you want to be, that you have to scare people into doing what you want them to get done instead of motivating them to get it done because you're willing to get down there with them and get it done and, you know, do that stuff? Like me, I was a big guy, man. On, on In the Army, on Mondays was our motor pool day, right? Everybody's at the motor pool on Mondays to do maintenance on all their vehicles for their units, for, for units that were field units that had field vehicles and stuff. So every Monday, I, but I would be right there in line. We'd line up, we do formation, they do an inspection, you know, do all that stuff in the morning. But then we got to get on the vehicles. And I'd be one of the first guys to get on the vehicle with one of my soldiers. I always picked a soldier every day and said, hey, let's go look at your vehicle today. We'd go look at their vehicle, and then we would uh, accomplish, you know, the, the TMC, you know, the, the, the checks on the vehicle. We'd go through it, change to whatever we got to change, clean what we got to clean. And I was a big stickler about the vehicles being clean and prepared. So that was a big deal with me when I was the first sergeant, platoon sergeant, and all that stuff. So, you know, but I was right there cleaning the vehicles with the soldiers. And they'd laugh. And they'd be like, hey, Sergeant V, what are you doing down here? I'd be like, hey, this, I'm no different than you. I was a private once. I was a specialist once. I was a sergeant once. This has got to get done. And if you guys see that I'm willing to come down here and do it, then you're more likely to come do it when I can't come down here and do it. And I need you guys to come do it without me. And that's the leadership style I wanted to portray was that I do as I say, you know, do, do what I do. And do it better than me. Uh, you know, that kind of leadership style. And I think that's what makes people successful in life is that if you're willing to get down there and show people that you're willing to do anything you ask them to do and you're leading from the front, as we used to say in the military, you lead from the front, not from the rear. 
You know, I had a, I had a star major once that, that that Joker man. If you got him out of his office, you were some kind of miracle worker because that Joker thought he could lead right there from sitting behind his desk on his on his phone or on his computer sending emails. That's just not how you lead people. You know, you lead from the front. You let people see that you're willing to get dirty too, and you're willing to do what it takes. So, leadership is an ent- entity of life that's important. It's essential, but it's not always essential for everybody. So, if you're out there listening. And you never were that person that was the leader. It's not about being a leader. Then be a good follower and do what you need to do. Do the right thing. Be right. Be smart. Be right. Be energetic. Be enthusiastic. Get it done. And then show that you're proud to be a part of that organization, regardless whether you're in a leadership position or not. If you are in a leadership position, you're having struggles like I did, dealing with people above you you didn't think are qualified, then figure out what you got to do to get up to that position. Figure out if you got to get a degree, go get a degree. If you got to go to some kind of training class, then go to the training class. And then present yourself to the leadership that you've done all that and you're willing to take a shot at that job. But there's a right way to do it. Um, and the civilian sector is hard to figure out. I'm still learning to figure it out too. I'm in a rotary club. I'm in the, you know all these different organizations and networking groups and stuff. And I'm learning, being around people, how things function in their businesses so I can learn how to make my fun- business function better. Uh, I have three or four different companies that I run that I own that 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 I try to you know I have a coffee company I have a I have an alcohol company I have a I have a, a, a business that helps uh, spouses find work at home jobs so there's a whole lot of things that I'm doing but I have people working for me because I can't do it all by myself and see that's another problem with leaders leaders think that they, everything's got to get done their way their only way that they you know and that's not it if I give a task to one of my people that work for me. Yes, they know I have expectations, but if I don't give them those expectations, then I expect the job to get done the best way they can get it done. And if I'm not happy with it, then that's my fault because I didn't give the expectations. So leadership is a challenge, guys. Um, Take it for what it is. If you're out there uh, and you need some help and you're having some trouble, feel free to reach out to us. Um, I will definitely talk to you. I'm not afraid to talk to anybody about anything um, as far as what I can do to help you. So feel free to reach out and talk to us about whatever you need to. Okay, this is uh, this has been a pretty long conversation about leadership. Uh, we've talked a little bit about, <coughs> excuse me, aspects of military versus civilian. You know, different things are there. Uh, you know, there's a disconnect between us as military and, and civilian leadership. There's a disconnect there because it's such a different lifestyle, such a different expectation. So just remember that when you're getting out of the military, if you, you just separated or you're getting ready to separate, just remember, I don't care if you were had a civilian job before you got out. You're in the military now, or you were, and they taught you a different way because basic training breaks you all the way down and builds you back up. Not like it used to, but it still does, all right? Um, and they build you back up and turn you into the type of leader and soldier they want, they need in the Army. So they're turning you into a soldier. Then that soldier eventually manipulates into a leader, and that leader has to take the responsibility to take people to combat and bring them home alive and kill the enemy, all right? So think about that for a minute. Our job is to eventually lead young men and women into combat to fight an enemy, to kill that enemy, and then to come home and then think that we're just going to be able to go back and be normal. I'm going to tell you guys something, and all of you who have been deployed and been to combat know this. You do not come back the same. Doesn't mean you're broken. Doesn't mean you're a bad person. You've seen things that other human beings have never seen or shouldn't have to see. You've done things that other human beings shouldn't have to do or had done. All right? You're different. You just now have to learn to adjust to those different feelings and those different expectations or those different aspirations of who you are and figure them out. It took me damn near 10 years 
to get a handle of who I was after all the trauma that I saw and was through went through while I was deployed and, and in the military. Literally took me 10 years, guys. I retired 2010. It's 2020. So it literally took me nine and a half years, basically, before I got to that final that final um, event that helped my life change with my wife. I went with my wife. We went to that retreat, and, and my life changed. I was there with her. I got my eyes open to her needs different than my needs. And I, I just I tell you guys and gals out there, listen, you don't come back from combat the same. There's nothing wrong with that, though. That's a normal attrition of life. That's, that's what happens to you. When you go through anything traumatic, your life changes. You could be in a horrific car accident and you could lose a leg. Well, guess what? You're not the same as you were before the car accident. You're different now. Now, you can either take pity on yourself and feel bad for yourself and you can make people feel bad for you or you can say, hey, look, I'm a, I'm a soldier. I'm a veteran. I'm a, I'm a human being. I'm, a, I'm an American. I'm going to get through this. There's ways. There's people out there that'll help me, that'll get me guidance that I need to be better at what I do. There's people out there that'll help me learn how to drive my car with only one leg or how to walk with only one leg. I'll be able to walk again. I'll be able to do whatever again. I'll be able to think straight again. I'll be able to not be depressed every day. Whatever your issue is, there's a way to get through it. But you have to be real with yourself. You can't sit there and just suck it up and go use up all everybody's feelings. Oh, poor, poor veteran who got his leg blown off over in com. Oh, we should give him a car. We should buy him a house. We should do. Hey, if people want to do that for you, great. Let them do it. But none of us should be asking for that stuff. All we should be asking for is the guidance to get our lives back to a position where we can be back in control of it to the best of our abilities. All right. And that'll lead us into our next episode, which is probably going to be about stolen valor and some other things we're going to talk about. Um, But hopefully today's little insight in leadership helped you a little bit understand the challenges that we face going from military to civilian sector. Um, It's hard. The military uses fear and direct leadership styles. Civilians are more casual and more laid back about it because there's other reasons. There's legal reasons. There's all kinds of reasons why civilians have to act the way they do and where the military doesn't have to act that way. The military gets away with a lot. Okay, They get away with a lot with their leadership styles. It's not a bad thing or a good thing. It's just the way it has to be because, again, we take people into combat zones and people die. I go to work at Walmart. I'm probably not going to die unless some crazy person comes in with a gun or something. And even then, as a veteran, I'm not going to die because I know how to react to gunfire and all that kind of stuff because I have training. Um, but that's here nor there. And we're actually later on going to have an episode about our right to bear arms too, everybody. We're going to talk about that a little bit too on this thing, because we're going to be real with everybody out there and, and talk about guns uh, and other things. But leadership, leadership is the, is the cornerstone of every, everybody's life. Cause even at home right now, all of you, there's leadership in your house. Like my house, my wife is in charge of the house. My wife is the rule maker. My wife is the I'm the enforcer. I'm the enforcer. Just like most dads. Dads are the enforcers. Yeah, we set rules, but realistically, everything diverts back to mom, and at least in my house. So my wife, she's the rule maker. I'm the enforcer. So there's leadership. My wife is in charge. My wife is the general, and I'm the sergeant major, or however you want to look at your rank structure. My wife is in charge. That also makes sure that I treat her with respect and dignity. I don't ever lay hands on her. I don't do anything to hurt her. I don't, you know what I mean? Yes, we get in arguments. I'm human. Yeah, and I can, give, I can be pretty mean when I'm in an argument. But I would never lay my hands on my wife because she outranks me. Just like a military dog outranks their handler by one rank on purpose so that you don't ever mistreat your animal. And not to say a wife is like an animal. But my point to you is, using a metaphor there, the point point is, I always look at my wife as she's always outranked me. So I never, I might get smart mouthed, I might get, but I also know there's repercussions for that too. Like if I got mouthy when I was in the army, 
I get in trouble for that. And I knew that was coming, but I understood that it was coming, but I did it anyway because I knew what the outcome was. Same thing in my house. My wife tells my kids to do something and they don't do it. Guess who goes in there and enforces it? Dad. Because I have the physical capability to do that plus the, the, the intimidation and the fear uh, of expectations from their dad. So just remember leadership is a challenge and leadership should help guide you. All soldiers out there, listen to me. All soldiers out there had leadership, whether you were the leader or you were led by somebody. Remember that when you make your next decision, whether it's whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, just remember, uh, you know, a big thing I used to do is what would Sergeant McBean do? He was my very first squad leader when I was in the Army. I used to tell myself all the way up through my career, how would Sergeant McBean handle this? Because he was my inspiration to become an NCO. He was my inspiration to be a leader. Him, Sergeant Miller, Sergeant Hood, they were all from the very first unit I was in when I was in the Army. And I, to this day, I still remember all the leadership tactics they taught me. And they were all E5s. They weren't like super level NCOs, but they were just those type of NCOs that believed in being down there with a the soldier and working hard and being a, being a leader. And that's what I, it boils down to. So that being said, we're going to cut it off here. We're going to go into our uh, shout outs to our sponsors and the things that are happening to help us make this podcast possible. So hopefully you guys are listening to that and respect the fact that, you know, we got to raise money to, to keep the podcast going. Uh, and like I said, keep an eye out for our next couple episodes. They're coming soon. And I look forward to speaking to everybody. You guys all have a blessed day. Be smart. Be safe. Well, that's a wrap, everyone. Hope you all got something out of this podcast today. Please tell a battle buddy about us and stay tuned for our upcoming podcast. Don't forget to visit our website at www.veteransbereal.com. Support us because we got your back. Till next time, everyone. I'm out of here. Oh, say-